0: Our study continues in Zechariah chapter 12. Our study starts at verse 5, 5 to 9, but the passage is in verses 1 to 9 for context. Let's read from verse 1 and pick up at verse 5. The burden of the word of the Lord concerning Israel. Thus declares the Lord, who stretches out the heavens, lays the foundation of the earth, and forms the spirit of man within him. Behold, I am going to make Jerusalem a cup that causes reeling to all the peoples around. And when the siege is against Jerusalem, it will also be against Judah. And it will come about in that day that I will make Jerusalem a heavy stone for all the peoples. All who lift it will be severely injured, and all the nations of the earth will be gathered against it. In that day, declares the Lord, I will strike every horse with bewilderment, and his rider with madness, But I will watch over the house of Judah, while I strike every horse of the peoples with blindness. Then the clans of Judah will say in their hearts, A strong support for us are the inhabitants of Jerusalem through the Lord of hosts, their God. In that day I will make the clans of Judah like a firepot among pieces of wood and a flaming torch among sheaves. So they will consume on the right and on the left all the surrounding peoples, while the inhabitants of Jerusalem again dwell on their own sites in Jerusalem. The Lord also will save the tents of Judah first, in order that the glory of the house of David and the glory of the inhabitants of Jerusalem may not be magnified above Judah. In that day, the Lord will defend the inhabitants of Jerusalem, And the one who is feeble among them in that day will be like David, and the house of David will be like God, like the angel of the Lord before them. And it will come about in that day that I will set about to destroy all the nations that come against Jerusalem. This oracle in Zechariah chapter 12, verses 1 to 9, entails God promising the protection of his people. Protection of His people, deliverance from their enemies when they attack and seek to conquer. But God's strength, being the creator and great redeemer of His people, He will overcome all enemies. No doubt whatsoever. In verses 1 to 4, as creator and as the redeemer. In the first couple of verses, the fact that God is the one who created the heavens and the earth. And then in verses 2 to 4, That he redeems his people just like he redeemed them in the time of the Exodus, in the Exodus chapters 14 and 15, where God destroyed the Egyptians, their chariots, their horses, their soldiers, everyone, because of God's great power and watching over his people with a concern for his people's redemption. Well, now he continues this in verses 5 to 9 to emphasize this fact that God is the one in control. He is the sovereign Lord, and he will protect his people. He will protect them. Verse 5, Then the clans of Judah will say in their hearts, A strong support for us are the inhabitants of Jerusalem through the Lord of hosts, their God. The inhabitants of Jerusalem, the capital, they have... A strong support, or they provide a strong support for the rest of the nation. And this is only because of the Lord of hosts, their God. The Lord of hosts signifies the fact that he is the Lord of armies. Armies in in heaven and armies on the earth that he can summon to do his will whenever he wishes. And that's why the victory is possible. The clans of Judah declare this, and they say it in their hearts, meaning they mean it, they are sincere, they're genuine, they are saying it from the inner man, because God, they they know in truth that God is with them. Only because God is with them will they have deliverance. Now, God is here using the means of the inhabitants of Jerusalem, but the ultimate source of of their power and deliverance is God himself. He uses the means or the agency of other peoples, one group to save another group, but God is ultimately the one who conquers, verse 5, clearly expresses. This then is continued in verse 6. Verse 6, In that day I will make the clans of Judah like a firepot, among pieces of wood and a flaming torch among sheaves. So they will consume on the right and on the left all the surrounding peoples, while the inhabitants of Jerusalem again dwell on their own sites in Jerusalem. God will make the clans of Judah like a firepot. A firepot has wood in which the wood is all burned up. But who is the wood? What is the wood? In verse 6, it's all the surrounding peoples. All the surrounding peoples, the enemies of the people of God, will be like pieces of wood or sheaves that are placed in a fire pot in order to burn a fire. God will use his people like a fire pot, and the enemies of God's people will be like wood that gets burned up. They will be Conquered. And when they are conquered, it says, they will again dwell on their own sites in Jerusalem. When they are conquered, the people of God live in peace. They live in prosperity. When God destroys the people, uh, the enemies of God's people, then God's people dwell in security, dwell in safety and peace. Further, verse 7. The Lord also will save the tents of Judah first in order that the glory of the house of David and the glory of the inhabitants of Jerusalem may not be magnified above Judah. Why does he compare the tents of Judah to the house of David and the inhabitants of Jerusalem? For one, the house of David, it says it has glory. And also glory of the inhabitants of Jerusalem. The house of David, being the dynasty of David, that would be the family in Israel that has the most honor, the most respect, the most glory. And next to them would be the inhabitants of Jerusalem. Because they live, they move, they mingle, they deal with the house of David in Jerusalem. So that would include the nobility and any of the wealthy men, any of the prominent men and tribes and families. They would live in Jerusalem and have access to the palace, have access to the throne of David, the dynasty of David. And naturally, people will respect them the most, honor them the most. But God is going to give deliverance to the tents of Judah first. That's God's way of saying, even the lowly, even the downtrodden, even those who live on the outskirts of the country, they won't be neglected. In fact, they will have their deliverance before the Davidic dynasty does and before the inhabitants of Jerusalem do. So that when the, those people who normally have more honor don't receive it first, it says that they may not be magnified above Judah. This is similar to Christ saying the first shall be last and the last first. Not in the sense of destruction. No no one in verse 7 is destroyed, but everyone in verse 7 is given their due place of honor. Verse 7. So then, now we've come to 8. In that day the Lord will defend the inhabitants of Jerusalem. And the one who is feeble among them in that day will be like David. And the house of David will be like God, like the angel of the Lord before them. In that day, that great day of deliverance, the Lord will defend the inhabitants of Jerusalem. He will defend them in such a way That the one who is feeble, those who are weak, those without strength, those who are feeble will be like David. And what does that mean? Well, David was the one who was able to kill the lion and the bear with his own hands. David was the one who was able to kill Goliath with a sling and a stone. David was the one who then ascended in the ranks of the military of Israel to be their greatest champion. David was the one who eventually would become king and lead the people in war to conquer their enemies. So he was very uh, adept at his military skills. And so the comparison here, the one who is feeble will be like David means. Even the most feeble among the people are going to be strong And valorous, valiant men, just like David was. God's going to bring the lowly and elevate them in their strength. And then the house of David, the dynasty of David, will be like God. He's even going to give strength and honor to the dynasty of David. The house of David will be like God. That's the kind of increase in strength, reputation, power that God is going to grant to the people, His people. And then when it says, like God, for us to know how to compare the great strength of God, He says, like the angel of the Lord before them. That is, that their strength will be like the messenger of the Lord or angel of the Lord going before them. This is an indication of the the deity of the angel of the Lord. It says here, like God, and then there's a comma, which this means this is an appositional phrase, like God, comma, equals, like the angel of the Lord before them. So the angel of the Lord is called God here in Zechariah twelve, 8. We'll see more evidence of this in a few moments. And this angel of the Lord going before them, proceeding on ahead of them, is a reminder of the Exodus when the angel of the Lord proceeded before the people. In Exodus chapters 13 and 14. Or yeah, 13 and 14. Further. And finally we come to verse 9. And it will come about in that day. That I will set about to destroy all the nations. That come against Jerusalem. Verse 9 is actually a summary of verses 1 to 8. He has just summarized what God is going to do to everyone and anyone who comes against the people of God. God will be victorious and he will defend his people in the end. No one will have the victory except God along with the people of God. In verses 5 and 6, verses 5 and 6, we have the clans of Judah like a firepot. The clans of Judah compared to a firepot. This is similar to what the Lord says in the book of Isaiah. Isaiah Isaiah 10, 17 and 18. Isaiah 10, 17, and 18. And the light of Israel will become a fire, and his Holy One a flame. And it will burn and devour his thorns and his briars in a single day. And he will destroy the glory of his forest and of his fruitful garden. Both soul and body. And it will be as when a sick man wastes away. And even further, verse 19: And the rest of the trees of his forest will be so small in number that a child could write them down. God is here described, he's called here the light of Israel, his holy one, that he will be like a fire and like a flame. He will burn and devour his thorns and his briars in a single day. God compares himself to fire. Fire in order to destroy the wicked. The book of Obadiah. Obadiah and verse 18. Amos, Hosea, Joel, Amos, Obadiah. And Obadiah verse 18. 18 says, Then the house of Jacob will be a fire, and the house of Joseph a flame, but the house of Esau will be as stubble, and they will set them on fire and consume them, so that there will be no survivor of the house of Esau, for the Lord has spoken. The house of Jacob or house of Joseph, these are the redeemed. And they will destroy the unredeemed, the house of Esau. And how so? They will be like fire and flame and set the house of Esau on fire. As though they are worthless stubble, worthless chaff, worthless parts of the harvest. We find it as well in Malachi chapter 4. Malachi chapter 4, verse 1. Malachi 4, 1. For behold, the day is coming, burning like a furnace, and all the arrogant and every evildoer will be chaff. And the day that is coming will set them ablaze, says the Lord of hosts so that it will leave them neither root nor branch. The arrogant and evildoers are chaff, but all the righteous, they are the ones who will burn them up and leave them neither root nor branch. They will be completely consumed. The righteous are described in verses 2 and 3. But as for you who fear my name, the son of righteousness will rise with healing in its wings, and you will go forth and skip about like calves from the stall, and you will tread down the wicked, for they shall be ashes under the soles of your feet on the day which I am preparing, says the Lord of hosts. Matthew chapter 3. Matthew chapter 3. John the Baptist describes Christ in this way. John or Matthew, Matthew 3:10 to 12. Matthew 3:10. And the axe is already laid at the root of the trees. Every tree therefore that does not bear good fruit is cut down and thrown into the fire. As for me, I baptize you in water for repentance, but he who is coming after me is mightier than I, and I am not even fit to remove his sandals. He himself will baptize you with the Holy Spirit and fire. Why fire? Because of verse 12. And his winnowing fork is in his hand, and he will thoroughly clean his threshing floor, and he will gather his wheat into the barn, but he will burn up the chaff with unquenchable fire. Christ will burn up the chaff That is, the arrogant and every evildoer with unquenchable fire. And one more place is 2 Thessalonians chapter 1. 2 Thessalonians chapter 1. We read verses 5 to 10. 2 Thessalonians 1, 5. This is a plain indication of God's righteous judgment, so that you may be considered worthy of the kingdom of God, for which indeed you are suffering. For after all, it is only just for God to repay with affliction those who afflict you, and to give relief to you who are afflicted, and to us as well. When the Lord Jesus shall be revealed from heaven with his mighty angels in flaming fire dealing out retribution to those who do not know God and to those who do not obey the gospel of our Lord Jesus. And these will pay the penalty of eternal destruction away from the presence of the Lord and from the glory of His power, when He comes to be glorified in His saints on that day and to be marveled at among all who have believed, for our testimony to you was believed. When the Lord Jesus is revealed from heaven, he will come with his mighty angels in flaming fire. Why in flaming fire? To destroy all the arrogant and every evildoer. Because they will be burned up like chaff by Christ. Then we also find Back to Zechariah 12. Zechariah 12, how it is the Lord who saves. Zechariah 12, verse 7. The Lord also will save the tents of Judah first in order that the glory of the house of David and the glory of the inhabitants of Jerusalem may not be magnified above Judah. God saves whomever he wills, however he wills. Jeremiah 30. Jeremiah 30, verses 18 to 22. Jeremiah 30, verse 18. Thus says the Lord, Behold, I will restore the fortune's Of the tents of Jacob, and have compassion on his dwelling places, and the city shall be rebuilt on its ruin, and the palace shall stand on its rightful place, and from them shall proceed thanksgiving, and the voice of those who make merry. And I will multiply them, and they shall not be diminished. I will also honor them, and they shall not be insignificant. Their children also shall be as formerly, and their congregation. Shall be established before me, and I will punish all their oppressors, and their leader should be a capital L, and their leader shall be one of them, and their ruler capital R shall come forth from their midst, and I will bring him near capital H for um, him, and I will bring him near, and he Shall approach me. For who would dare to risk his life to approach me, declares the Lord. The he and the him of verse 21 has to be capitalized H to refer to Christ. 22, and you shall be my people, and I will be your God. Why does verse 21 have to be Christ, the leader, the ruler, and the one that the Father brings near to Him to approach the Father. Because He's the only one by His death, His shed blood, perfect, spotless Lamb of God, who can pay for our sins and be presented to the Father on our behalf. He's the only one. So anyone else who would presume to do so would risk his life to approach God. But not Christ, because He's perfect, He's holy, 100%. And when we are redeemed through Him, then we are His people and He is our God. This is the kind of salvation that God provides for His people. Then in verse 8, Zechariah twelve eight, he says that he will make the feeble like David and the house of David like God. First, the feeble like David. Well, how was David? What kind of a man was David? We find this in 1 Samuel 16. 1 Samuel 16. We will see here how God endowed David with strength. First Samuel sixteen eighteen. Sixteen eighteen. Then one of the young men answered and said, Behold, I have seen a son of Jesse, the Bethlehemite, who is a skillful musician, a mighty man of valor, a warrior, one prudent in speech and a handsome man, and the Lord is with him. He's described as a son of Jesse. He had several sons. And he's from Bethlehem. A skillful musician, a mighty man of valor, a warrior. One prudent in speech and a handsome man, and the Lord is with him. David is a mighty man of valor, a warrior. This shows that David was likely at least 20 years old, for some time, maybe about three years of experience, because according to the book of Numbers, chapter one, one to three, one had to be a minimum of 20 years old and a male to go out to war. And already he's described here as a man of valor, a warrior. So it's likely that the rest of the book of 1 Samuel takes place between David's age 23 and 30. So he had about a 7-year struggle fleeing for his life from King Saul. Then not not only do we first find him described that way in chapter 16, but now we come to chapter 17. The strength of David. We're still exploring this subject. The strength of David. Um we pick it up at verse 31. 17 31. He says, When the words which David spoke were heard, they told them to Saul, and he sent for him. And David said to Saul, Let no man's heart fail on account of him. Your servant will go and fight with this Philistine. And who is this Philistine in chapter 17? It's Goliath. Then Saul said to David, You are not able to go against this Philistine to fight with him, for you are but a youth while he has been a warrior from his youth. But David said to Saul, Your servant was tending his father's sheep. When a lion or a bear came and took a lamb from the flock, I went out after him and attacked him and rescued it from his mouth. And when he rose up against me, I seized him by his beard and struck him and killed him. Your servant has killed both the lion and the bear and this uncircumcised Philistine will be like one of them since he has taunted the armies of the living God. And David said, The Lord who delivered me from the paw of the lion and from the paw of the bear, he will deliver me from the hand of this Philistine. And Saul said to David, Go and may the Lord be with you. And we know that David conquered the Philistine, Goliath. What's look at uh, the courage of David, the bravery of David. He says, let no man's heart fail, verse 32. I'll go and fight. And in verse 33, Saul tries to dissuade him, saying, the Philistine is much more experienced in warfare than you are. And then David gives an example, the example of the lion and the bear, that he was able to conquer both lion and bear and kill them. And he trusts in the power of God to help him because he says, 36, your servant has killed both the lion and the bear and this uncircumcised Philistine will be like one of them. And why? Why? Because David had the honor of God and God's people in view. And therefore, he says, since he has taunted the armies of the living God. That's why he was fearless. Because he had God's honor first. First. And the protection of the people of God second. And confidence in God's power. Verse 37. The Lord who delivered me from the paw of the lion and from the paw of the bear. He will deliver me from the hand of the Philistine. Okay then. That is the kind of valor or strength and confidence and courage that David had. God will make us that way. He will make us that way. And then already those with some honor some reputation, the house of David will be like God, he says. I'm going to even give them even more strength. than they, They're supposed to have some strength, they're supposed to have some courage, some bravery, but I'm going to give them even more because they will be like God who's not afraid of anybody. Is God afraid of anybody? No. And this God is like the angel of the Lord before them. Uh, Briefly, that God is not afraid of anybody. Psalm two, Psalm two, we read verses one to six. Psalm two, verse one. Why are the nations in an uproar and the peoples devising a vain thing? The kings of the earth take their stand and the rulers take counsel against the Lord and against his anointed one. They say, let us tear their fetters apart and cast away their cords from us. He who sits in the heavens laughs. The Lord scoffs at them. Then he will speak to them in his anger and terrify them in his fury. But as for me, I have installed my king upon Zion, my holy mountain. God is laughing and scoffing at the wicked who refuse to repent. And then he will deal with them in his anger to punish them. And who is his agent? Verse 6, God's king, God's anointed one, God's Christ. That's who he has. He has already installed Christ to be the conqueror for the people of God. And further, that God is not afraid. Psalm 110. Psalm 110. Psalm 110, verse 1. The Lord says to my Lord. Sit at my right hand until I make your enemies a footstool for your feet. The Lord will stretch forth your strong scepter from Zion, saying, Rule in the midst of your enemies. Your people will volunteer freely in the day of your power, in holy array from the womb of the dawn. Your youth are to you as the dew. The Lord has sworn and will not change his mind. You are a priest forever, according to the order of Melchizedek. The Lord is at your right hand. He will shatter kings in the day of his wrath. He will judge among the nations. He will fill them with corpses. He will shatter the chief men over a broad country. He will drink from the brook by the wayside. Therefore, he will lift up his head. Is God afraid of anybody here? He's not afraid. He has installed his Christ on the throne at his right hand. And one day, all the enemies will be destroyed. There's nobody who's going to be able to overwhelm God. That's the kind of omnipotence he has. Who specifically, who specifically will we be like? It says, like the angel of the Lord before them. The angel of the Lord before them. We've already met the angel of the Lord earlier in the book of Zechariah. In Zechariah chapter 3, verses 1 and 2. Zechariah 3, 1 and 2. Then he showed me Joshua the high priest standing before the angel of the Lord, and Satan standing at his right hand to accuse him. And the Lord said to Satan, The Lord rebuke you, Satan. Indeed, the Lord who has chosen Jerusalem rebuke you. Is this not a brand plucked from the fire? It's the angel of the Lord who is speaking. And the angel of the Lord in verse 1 is called simply the Lord in verse 2. And when he's simply called the Lord speaking to Satan he calls upon the Lord to rebuke Satan. Which means, in verse 1, it's the Son of God. In verse 2, at the beginning, it's the Son of God who said to Satan, May the Lord rebuke Satan. Meaning, may the Father rebuke you, Satan. That's the Son in verses 1 and 2, and the Father in verse 2, in the remainder of verse 2. Both called the Lord. And we've met this also in the book of Exodus, Exodus chapters 13 and 14, where the Lord is also in the pillar of cloud and pillar of fire to guide the people safely, to go before them like it says in Zechariah 12:8 13 Exodus 13:21 13, 13:21 13, And the Lord was going before them in a pillar of cloud by day to lead them by the, on the way and in a pillar of fire by night to give them light that they might travel by day and by night The Lord was going before them just like Zechariah, when God goes before us, He's going before us to protect us and to lead the way. Just like Christ in Hebrews 12, He went as a forerunner before us. He is the author and perfecter of faith, Hebrews 12, 1 and 2. Well, in the book of Exodus, it says, "The Lord, 13:21, the Lord was going before them, but who was the Lord? It was the angel of the Lord, meaning Christ, the messenger of God from heaven. That's why it says in 1419, And the angel of God, who, was, who had been going before the camp of Israel, moved and went behind them. And the pillar of cloud moved from before them and stood behind them. And down to verses 24 to 25. 1424, and it came about at the morning watch that the Lord looked down on the army of the Egyptians through the pillar of fire and cloud and brought the army of the Egyptians into confusion. And he caused their chariot wheels to swerve and he made them drive with difficulty. So the Egyptians said, let us flee from Israel, for the Lord is fighting for them against the Egyptians. 1424, just like 1321 says the Lord is in the cloud. But 1419 says it was specifically the angel of the Lord or the angel of God who is a form of the pre-incarnate Christ. And finally, 129 One day, God will destroy all the nations that come against Jerusalem, or come against the people of God. God is ultimately the great destroyer. He's not only the one who gives life, but he also destroys people. This is the true God, the God of the Bible, both Old and New Testaments. He is this God. Deuteronomy 32. Deuteronomy 32. 39. Deuteronomy 32. 39. See now that I, I am he, and there is no God besides me. It is I who put to death and give life. I have wounded, and it is I who heal. And there is no one who can deliver from my hand. God declares that he alone is God. There is no other God, no other true God. He's the one who puts to death and gives life. He is the one who wounds and heals. Nobody has greater power than God. Nobody. Greater power than Than God. Also, Deuteronomy 28, Deuteronomy 28, 63. Deuteronomy 28 and verse 63. And it shall come about that as the Lord delighted over you to prosper you and multiply you, so the Lord will delight over you to make you perish And destroy you, and you shall be torn from the land where you are entering to possess it. God not only delights to prosper, but He also, it says, delights to make you perish and destroy you. The same verb, to delight. God is the giver of life. And God is also the destroyer of life. He does both. Not just one, but he does both. We've already read that it is the Lord Jesus in 2 Thessalonians, chapter 1, 5 to 10, who will come in flaming fire, dealing out retribution. What is retribution? Destruction. We also see in... Romans 9, Romans 9, and verse 18. So then, he has mercy on whom he desires, and he hardens whom he desires. And then, 9, 19 to 24. You will say to me then, why does he still find fault for who resists his will? On the contrary, who are you, O man, who answers back to God? The thing molded will not say to the molder, Why did you make me like this, will it? Or does not the potter have a right over the clay to make from the same lump one vessel for honorable use and another for dishonorable use? What if God, although willing to demonstrate his wrath and to make his power known, endured with much patience vessels of wrath prepared for destruction and he did so in order that he might make known the riches of his glory upon vessels of mercy which he prepared beforehand for glory, even us whom he also called not from among Jews only but also from among Gentiles. indeed if anyone does not love the Lord let him be accursed Maranatha 1 Corinthians 1622. He who has ears to hear, let him hear what the Spirit says. Amen.